With a closer look at the news and events affecting Prince George, welcome to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Welcome to After 9. I'm your host, Rez Krebs. And today we've got the Friday political panel here with Art Betke, Peter Ewart, James Steidel, and Herb Martin. We're going to start talking uh, talking about an issue that's a little bit further from home today. Uh, we've got uh, this really huge controversy happening out in Ontario with the, it's embroiled the Premier, the Housing Minister, and this guy, uh, Amato, who was uh, Chief of Staff, I believe, for, for the Premier or for the Housing Minister. Um, what's happened is they had this thing called the Green Belt, which was uh, something more like we have the Agricultural Land Reserve out here. In 2005, they implemented this Green Belt, um, partly uh, to preserve agricultural land, partly to preserve ecological services, you know, wildlife habitat, etc., but one of the main policy uh, policy points that they were trying to kind of hammer home with that green belt was to actually stop sprawl, stop, like kind of put a limit on the sprawl that we knew was going to happen between Hamilton and Toronto, right? So it kind of like, it kind of encircles the greater Hamilton Toronto area. This thing called the green belt. What's happened is uh, these developers that really were tied to Ford were pushing for certain parcels to be taken out of the green belt. And what we see is, uh, after a, a, a report from the auditor uh, out there in, in Ontario, is that the process was so flawed that we see actually uh, lobbyists kind of getting exactly what they want. So lobbyists actually kind of wagging the dog in terms of uh, m- making changes to the policy around the green belt and then benefiting from that. So saying, we would like to take these pieces of land out of the green belt and then those pieces of land coming out of the green belt. In some places, we've got developers who purchased land just a month before that land was taken out of the green belt, and therefore they, they bought it at a low price because it's in the green belt and can only be used for agriculture, and then all of a sudden it's taken out of the green belt. And what do we have? Extreme, extremely like much more valuable land at that point. I'm just trying to give a little background for listeners uh, who may not be following, you know, Ontario politics, which is half a continent away. Uh, Herb, I mean, what do you know about this, and what are you what are you thinking? Is the is the Ford government going to survive this uh, pretty significant scandal? Well, they don't have to call an election for what, another two to three years, so uh, they'll probably su- survive uh, for a while. But um, given that there's possibly going to be an RCMP investigation into this, um, it's it's the, the story is just unfolding. Uh, one of the 15 developers that got land has already tried to sell it because they didn't actually know what to do with it. So, I mean, the, the, uh, you know, Ford has been caught out in a lie. He's, he said that this was done to create housing, and it's really just already being flipped. So, I mean, it's 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 so egregious that it's uh, it, it's just incredible. What it, what it will do is going to wake up the. Um, the opposition in Ontario, which uh, has already has made uh, huge huge inroads, I think, and uh, it's going to wake up the um, the uh, population of Ontario, who only turned out uh, what about forty three percent to vote in the last election. So yeah, I, he's uh, Ford has uh, stuck his um, foot into a huge hornet's nest, and um, he's going to get stung, and it's going to this is this is only the start. James, do you think that uh, I mean? Herb mentioned a potential RCMP investigation. I thought it was interesting. The OPP said, we're going to hand this off to the RCMP because to, to prevent any potential or perceived conflict of interest. The RCMP then in initially said, we're investigating. And then they retracted that and said, 
We're looking into investigating. Do <laughs> you think that they're going to, like, do you think that we're going to see some criminal charges later? here? I, I would hope so. I mean, there's so many layers to the story. I was, I've kind of been following it for the last few months, and then uh, for this show, I, I read some more stuff, and yeah, it's just like like Herb says, it's just it's just mind boggling the layers of uh, corruption. I mean, but I guess you know when you're a politician, what, what else what else are you doing this for other than self dealing and, and grift? Like this is your classic your classic example of <laughs> of what motivates a lot of these politicians, like Doug Ford. I mean, uh, you know, like we we're talking before the show here, this is a pretty shady character. You know, drug dealing history. Uh, you know, look at his, his 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 the stuff his brother did, and I, I I don't understand why he got elected or why he's so popular. But uh, you know, I'm t- that Auditor General report. Uh, these guys were buying land. The developers were buying land. Who I think were documented at his wedding, at his daughter's wedding. Like these very same developers were their photo, like are hanging out with him at social functions. Yeah, they have personal the ties. Yeah, they got personal ties, and these developers are buying land a month before the deal is made to open up the green belt to development. Um, that auditor general report there said that that land increased by $8 billion as a result of that decision. Wow. Uh, but I just want to, you know, before we uh, jump off to another topic or whatever, I just want to point out that this is kind of, this is like one of these things that happens all the time. And this example is just what people have kind of focused in on and have investigated. But on a local level, this is happening all the time. Okay, like when people buy land that's zoned for agriculture and then they get it rezoned into something else, high, you know, high, high uh, density residential, you know, the same thing happens. The, the value of that land explodes and the developers uh, make huge gains. And it happens, you know, it happens here locally with uh, the, uh, the student housing there on a speak uh, Tyner, so which was city land beforehand. So it's nothing really new and it's, it's, it's widespread. Yeah, and on the point of James mentioning, like, how did this guy get elected? I mean, so both Rob Ford, Doug Ford's brother, and Doug, they, they have this real populist thing where they'll hand out their business card. It's got their personal phone number on it, right? And they'll continuously take calls like Rob Ford. He would he would return anybody's phone call, literally. Doug Ford on the on the phone call point has no recorded phone calls in I think two months leading up to this Greenbelt deal, and then the two months after regarding the Greenbelt deal when when journalists go for a Freedom of Information request, right? You're the premier. You're using your basically company phone. the 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 phone logs need to be up to date. Apparently, he has zero phone logs on these deals. He's been using his personal phone, which is kind of his brand, and I think that that might also be some impropriety. Peter? Uh, yeah. No, I, uh, this is just another example of, uh, of a big, uh, powerful private interests uh, trumping the public interest. And uh, as James says, it goes on all the time at the different levels of government. Uh, you know, where you have this – you have, in, in, in effect, the merging of private interests of, – of corporate interest, et cetera, with government. And, uh, you know, so it becomes a really fundamental thing. How do we, how do we balance this kind of situation? You know, w- one of the problems that we have is this representational democracy, right, where you uh, vote uh, candidates in, you know, you have one day of democracy, and then you have four, four years of uh, dictatorship after that. There's no mechanisms for the citizenry to hold uh, the uh, uh, government to account and uh, as a result, you get uh, scandals like this that 
you know, a lot of times they, they're done a lot more smoothly, right? So they go under the radar, right? But uh, there's exceptions, and this is one of the exceptions uh, uh, that's, that's taken place recently. But it's a, it's a really, f I see it as, as a fundamental problem, right, as in terms of where we're going in the world, in terms of uh, private interest, how much power should these private interests have? And, uh, you know, should this be allowed that the, basically you have almost like a merging of the, 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 the private interests with, with government and the people are left out in the cold uh, in terms of because that's, that's the issue that's going to happen. Like uh, the next election there is not for, uh, I believe, for a couple more years. So uh, there's, there's no way for people to get people to get a government out unless there's some major split within the government. Art, you know, the, Doug Ford has been hammering on this, this being one way to deal with the persistent housing crisis on Ontario, right? Building, you know, building more homes, making them accessible. Um, how much credence do you give that uh, argument? No, absolutely none, of course. You know, come on. Uh, this, this is blatant greed and, uh, <laughs> and uh, blatant corruption. And it's right out there. And, and and it's not like oh we we didn't mean to do any you know it's obvious that what was going on and uh, is 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 there criminality involved quite possibly quite likely it sounds like so uh, yeah will he survive uh, no he'll survive to the next election probably he's a politician he's got ways of doing that but. Uh, he he wasn't all that popular with conservatives to start with. When 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 he ran for election, he was their hope. You know, he was better than his screwed up brother, and uh, he was um, he he was a conservative. Oppo you know, uh, in in contrast to the radical lefties that had been in charge. So uh, he he was the great hope. He was going to govern like a conservative. And he had that golden opportunity, but that's not what he was really like, I guess. You know, he was he was more of, of the uh, the wheeling and dealing and ins and outs and money grabbing and and that kind of stuff. He saw those opportunities a whole lot more attractive than the opportunity to govern like a conservative. So now, you know, the the left will, of course, all of we have hated him, but uh, the right over the years, over the the time that he's been in. They have become increasingly disillusioned with him because a lot of his policies mirror that of the left, the NDP and liberals, uh, on things like climate and so on. So, uh, yeah, he's uh, he's deeply unpopular with the right too. So he's got he's got no chance of surviving the next election. He probably will survive till then, but it'd be nice to see him kicked out. Yeah, I just took a look at that. It's twenty twenty six is the next scheduled Ontario election, there would have to be some serious problems with this government if, uh, if, if there was going to be an election called in advance of that. Um, it's funny you mentioned, you know, he was actually very popular initially, like, you know, got elected, and then his popularity tanked. And it's strange that a conservative became more popular during COVID. He actually, unlike, unlike Jason Kenney, you know, he was, he was really behind their public health person in, during the COVID thing. And I think that that actually increases popularity amongst Ontarians in general. Like I remember, you know, I was, I was living here obviously in Prince George, but I had been in Ontario uh, just recently before that. And I remember thinking, 
Jeez, Rob Ford is making a lot of sense to me right now. Um, Doug. Doug. Sorry, Doug. <laughs> <laughs> You're not the may, first one to confuse right? him. <laughs> may Rob rest in peace. But uh, yeah, I found that I found that really interesting. And now, I mean, I think I think Arts Right is kind of showing his true colors, um, more wheeling and dealing uh, than than actually taking care of the economy or being like a straight ahead uh, kind of conservative um, legislator. Right. It's, it's kind of interesting that uh, you know drug dealers and mafiosos are known for using burner phones, right? And, uh, Maybe that's where he got it from, because <laughs> it's true, right? He and yeah. he he has he's trying to maintain that same populist rep, uh, uh, reputation that his brother had, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, any other final thoughts on this? Well, he's he's a, I think, you know, based on um, some of the stuff you see on on his uh, reaction, like the public health thing, you know, he's he's a skilled politician, and I understand where that appeal comes from. Uh, hopefully this will help people see through that. Yeah, I mean, he was actually, um, I remember around the time that his brother was having so many of those, like, real real human problems, right, like with, with drug addiction, and and uh, and it was all happening in public, and I felt actually really bad for the guy. Um, Doug always stood right by him and, and was, and really showed a, a, a good, you know, loyalty and a human side to that, and I think that that's part of what, um, what people really connect to, right, is that he is a he is a human being, and he and he uses that really well. But he's also clearly like very in it, greedy. <laughs> in it for in it for him. Yeah, we'll take a short break. We'll be back after these messages. Two young boys leave home to take the adventure of their lives. That beautiful vessel right there is my ship. There's something not right. Their adventure takes a dangerous turn. We're going to. The boys are now lost on a deserted island in the Arctic. We're going to die! The Lord thy God is with thee! The boys discover that hope is a matter of life and death. Discover Shipwrecked on the next Lamplighter Theater. Sunday at 7 a.m. and 7.30 p.m. here on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Are you a leader who wants to take their leadership to the next level? Do you have an emerging leader on your team who needs support? At Pivot Leader, our Leaders in Business program combines leadership training with one-on-one coaching to help leaders just like you. You'll learn how to deal with people better, handle conflict, hire and keep staff, delegate more effectively, read financial statements, and learn coaching skills to move your team along. There's a less stressful way to improve your outcomes. We can show you how. If you'd like to be a better leader, reach out to us today at pivotleader.com. Pivot Leader will help you grow, train, and sell your business. Lace up your runners and join the Parkinson's Superwalk. For over 30 years, this event has helped to raise funds and inspire hope for over 15,000 people across the province living with Parkinson's disease. Together, we can ensure every person touched by Parkinson's has the support they need to live well. Show your support by joining the Parkinson's Superwalk at 1130 Saturday, September 9th in Clayton-Lay-Tanay Memorial Park. To register or donate, visit parkinson.ca slash superwalk. Forecast from Environment Canada. Sunny today with local smoke. Wind from the southwest at 20, gusting to 40 starting late this morning. A high of 24 with a high UV index. Clear tonight with local smoke. Gusting southwest winds becoming light this evening, a low of 9. For Saturday, sunny with local smoke. Wind from the southwest at 20 starting near noon and a high of 24. This is After 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. We're back with the Friday Political Panel, and we're going to move from uh, Canada, Ontario, down to another kind of uh, faraway jurisdiction, but one that we all love to to watch, uh, the United States. And I just wanted to, you know, 
get everyone on the same page with what's happening with Donald Trump uh, because so much is happening and, and it's hard to sometimes like kind of cut through the the rhetoric um, and even his own rhetoric, right? He's a he's a master. Uh, you know what? You know, talking about Doug Ford being a master politician. Trump is a master politician. So I'm just going to run through these. These he has four cases currently against him. So the most recent is around uh, the election in Georgia in 2020, as in the, the you know the his election there for president because they have this uh, electoral college system. He's got 41 uh, indictments there under the Racketeering Influence and Corrupt Organizations uh, uh, Act, I guess, in Georgia. Uh, That's also known as RICO. And this all kind of stems around that leaked phone call in which he asked uh, Georgia's top election official to, quote, find 11,780 votes, which was what he was missing in order to be elected in Georgia. Then we've got the Capitol riot. Um, He's got four counts of conspiracy to do um, really to to interfere with the uh, the electoral system in the United States and a, and a few other things. Um, then we've got the classified documents issue. So he was holding on to some classified documents, um, and he's been charged with willful retention of, of national defense um, files. Uh, and then he's got uh, the last one is it seems like the the one that is really the most tenuous. Uh, so he paid Stormy Daniels. Um, I think in 2016 uh, during the election or, or just prior to make sure she didn't mention that they had had an extra mar- mar- marital affair. And that goes around the they, – they're kind of trying to classify that payment as um, election funding. And so it's been misclassified. It's an interesting, like, way to kind of to, – to try to prosecute someone. Uh, you know, he's, he's raised millions of dollars off these T-shirts that he's been selling – uh, with his uh, with his with his mugshot on them, and I kind of wonder, like, is you know two things? One is he going to survive, and if he survives all these all these crazy things, is he going to be president next time, James? Yeah, so I'm, I'm reading through all those charges. It seems like the Georgia case there probably might be the strongest. Uh, you know, if you're if you're trying to rustle up eleven thousand votes so you win the state, and you're kind of ordering the election official to find those votes, I, I don't know how you get around that one. Uh, the other ones, and then probably after that, probably the classified documents has the, the most legal teeth. I'm not really buying the Capitol riots, blaming that on, on Trump. I think he's got some, some plausible deniability there. Uh, the Stormy Daniels one, I, I don't know, and I don't know if the the charges for that are going to result in jail time, even if he is found guilty. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't understand these personality cults. I don't I don't understand how people can compromise the integrity of an institution which is democracy their their own constitution uh just because they like this guy so much it it doesn't make sense to me but uh you know trump had some good ideas i'll admit that i think he he had some policy positions that made sense that uh that really appealed to a lot of people you know make make stuff in the usa uh stop the offshoring uh usa first you know these are all uh things that uh probably needed to happen and then the democrats weren't there i mean they, they were they were willing to undermine the working class in, in america they were willing to offshore all those jobs and uh, they got punished for it um but donald trump has turned this around into into making it all about him you know and, and unfortunately we see that in a lot of uh uh political political things these days including right here in, in prince george 
um, there's a good chance you'll get elected. And then and, and the Democrats, like we, we've, we've got Biden. Like that's the choice. You've got uh, Donald Trump or, or Joe Biden. You know, the guy can barely string a sentence together. And, and that's who that's who we're supposed to vote for instead of Donald Trump. Like, Yeah, it's who, funny. I mean, I like policies aside, uh, when he says drain the swamp, I think about that Democratic National Committee. Like how they how they managed to like sideline Bernie Sanders, who had a, a cred like incredible amounts yeah. of of, uh, of grassroots support, um, and then put this wet noodle in uh, in terms of Joe Biden. I mean, that's th- they they may be digging their own grave, Peter. Yeah, you know, like I think what's happening here is you have the Democrats and Republicans uh, leading the people down a, a disastrous path. Uh, like I don't support either Trump or, or Biden. But, you know, when we look at this, uh, these court cases, the issue is to go beyond that and look obje- objectively at the case against them. There's dozens and dozens of charges, and it's a shotgun approach. But many of these charges appear to be v- very weak. And, uh, you know, it's interesting. The prosecution waited over two years to level charges. And, have, and, and they're se- setting these uh, court cases right in the middle of the election campaign, presidential election campaign. The Georgia trial is, is scheduled to start uh, the day before the crucial Super Tuesday primaries. So you have a, a weaponization of the Department of Justice here that's going on. Like uh, right, right now the Democrats are using it. You know, like if the Republicans were in there, they'd be using it too. But um, with a lot of these charges, the prosecution does not appear to have much of the case. Uh, you know, you have a, a situation where the, the shotgun approach uh, is designed not so much to convict him, but to weigh him down and impede his uh, election campaign. You know, because when you look at the, uh, the the Georgia conversation, like the transcript is online. You can look, Washington Post has it online there. Um, and, y- you know, what Trump said there at various points is, I just want to find 11,780 votes. That's usually what the media uh, who don't like Trump uh, highlight or quote, but they don't include the, the the rest of the sentence, which is more than we have won because we won the state. So basically, Trump in the in the Georgia transcripts, what he's saying is that he was cheated out of uh, elections and that there was uh, votes that were lost or or fooled around with or whatever, and that he, what he's trying to do is just get those back. So that's what the prosecution has to uh, has to say is that. Uh, that that constitutes uh, you, you know a criminal offense, whereas I, whereas the Trump side, what they're going to say is freedom of speech. Like since when, if you contest an election, uh, like if, I, if if tomorrow like they have a federal election in Canada here, and uh, there's some monkey business that appears to have gone on, uh, can you be prosecuted for saying that uh, the election was was rigged, or whatever? Right? You know, like uh, we're just talking about the uh, Ontario example there. You know, so for me, it uh, it's, it's creates a kind of a precedent that's uh, uh, a real problem. Where's this all going? The, the yeah, you have the FBI, the Department of Justice discredited. There's a loss of faith faith in the system. And the next 14 months are going to be pretty wild. Lots of unprecedented things are going to happen when you have these oligarchic factions, whether they're Democratic or Republican, f- fighting. So where does it go? Uh, I don't know. Like. Uh, the U.S. is going down the road towards civil disorder of some kind, right? Because, uh, you, and, and the problem is, uh, 
they're trying to take the people down with them, and I think that's really important. And I'm hoping to see in the U.S. Uh, that that people uh, don't go down this factional garden path, but instead look for forces, other forces that uh, go be are, are different than the Republicans and Democrats, and not into their their factionalized uh, way of doing things. Yeah, I mean that's an interesting point. Like. Uh, I, I I mentioned Victor Orban when I sent this topic to you guys. You know he's the kind of uh, almost cartoon-like um, autocrat in uh, in Hungary, um, but he had he actually had an, inter- an interesting point. Like this is this is the kind of thing that a communist country would have done, right? Like uh, the person who was previously in power needs to be have 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 their kind of personality wiped from the record. And but when you're talking about the partisanship in the United States. The pr- some of the problems I see is that it's not just limited to political parties, because so many, so much of their their structure of of justice system are also elected, right? And then you get like people who end up getting appointed to things. They also must have a relationship to those parties. Art, I mean, do you think that this is uh, the the shotgun approach that Peter's talking about is an interesting point? When you don't have really strong. Uh, a really strong case, you you string together a whole bunch of small cases. You think any of this is actually going to stick? Uh, no, um, but that's what they're doing for sure. I mean, this is blatantly, openly politically motivated. It's um, it, it, it's not like it's uh, people haven't contested election results before. I mean, Democrats do it very frequently. So you know, what's the difference? Uh, he sees, said, "I need to find eleven thousand votes." Well. Uh, What's wrong with that? Uh, he's not contesting a result. He's trying to uh, resolve what he sees as an incomplete count. So uh, when it comes to, like, the Stormy Daniels thing, that's an absolute nonsense. There, A lot of high-profile people pay hush money because it's easier and cheaper than taking them to court and winning. And, uh, you know, the guy, Alvin Bragg, who's uh, prosecuting him, He's an uber-leftist. He downgrades felonies to misdemeanors. He won't prosecute gun crimes even. But he's going after Trump for paying hush money? Come on. He still won't even disclose what the exact charge is. Um, In uh, Fulton County, Georgia, Fannie Willis is the one that's charging Trump. There are 159 counties in Georgia. Not one of the other uh, prosecutors has joined her in that prosecution. She doesn't have the legal jurisdiction to do it. That's the the attorney general's jurisdiction. So that's just bogus. That's uh, the January sixth case is uh, based entirely on the claim that Trump knew that he lost the election fair and square, and he lied about it anyway. Trump still fervently believes that he was cheated out of it. Uh, and uh, there's no way you can prove that he knew something he doesn't believe. I mean, that guy will never believe that he lost it fair and square. You know, this is Trump's ego we're talking about here. <laughs> uh, as far as Mar-a-Lago is concerned, that one he's probably guilty on. He did have the classified documents there. And he even admitted that they were classified, and he said, I could have declassified them, but I didn't bother. Probably goes back to his ego, too, actually. Yeah, yeah. 
but you know, it's not like he's the only one who's done that. I mean, with Hillary's mishandling of classified information, and uh, Joe Biden's was much, much more egregious, and uh, nobody's ever gone after them. And, and as far as uh, as a, uh, denying that you lost the election, well, Hillary Clinton still denies that she lost uh, to uh, Trump. Uh, Al Gore still denies that he lost to G.W. Bush. Uh, Stacey Abrams still denies she lost the uh, governorship election. Democrats always deny that they lost the election. They always say they were cheated out of it. So what's the difference if Trump's saying the same thing? <laughs> How is that criminal? All right, we're going to take a short break, and we'll be back after this with Herb's final comment on this point. September is World Alzheimer's Month. Each year, people around the world unite to raise awareness and challenge stigma around Alzheimer's disease and all forms of dementia. This year's theme is never too early, never too late. The aim is to encourage people to identify risk factors and adopt proactive risk reduction strategies to delay and potentially prevent the onset of dementia. You can learn more about brain health by viewing the Alzheimer's Society of BC's webinar, An Introduction to Brain Health, on YouTube. Are you thinking of selling your business? It's Dave Fuller here, a business coach and a business broker living right here in Prince George. The challenge of being a business owner is that much of our retirement funds are often tied up in the business. If you are getting ready to retire and sell your business, give me a call, 250-617-7467, and we can talk confidentially about how much your business might be worth and how you might be able to get that money out of the business and into your pocket. Again, Dave Fuller, 250-617-7467, or check out our website, pivotleader.com. At Pivot Leader, we help you grow, train, and sell your business. North Edge Ice Sports has moved. You can now find all your recreational and competitive figure skating skates and accessories at Quebec and 3rd. While there, purchase roller skates or inline skates so you can skate all year round. Stop by and check out the assortment of outfits and accessories as you get ready for the coming season. Open from 10 to 5, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, 9 to 2, Saturday. North Edge Ice Sports, in the Q3 building, Kitty Corner, to the Farmer's Market at Quebec and 3rd. The Prince George Council of Seniors is looking for volunteers for its friendly phone call program to reach out weekly to lonely and shut-in seniors. It doesn't take much to be a social line volunteer. All you need is a cheerful manner on the phone and pass a criminal record check. For more information or to volunteer for the PGCOS Friendly Phone Call Program, contact Wendy by emailing hnc at bgcos.ca or call 250-564-5888. You're listening to After 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. Herb, it's interesting, uh, you know, on on the Trump charges and the question of political interference in in the political in the electoral system um we see in the united states you know i was mentioning that judges are elected etc but things like uh constituent constituent districts like you know the districts in which people are elected are also actually mapped by political appointees right so you get these crazy gerrymandering gerrymandering, right Mm -hmm. um i mean and that it kind of just points that how can you even say that the that the election was rigged against me when you know every single one of these elections is somehow rigged? Anyway, I just wanted to get that point out there. But you've got last word on this on this whole Trump issue. Yeah, I mean it, it seems unbelievable. Ninety one uh, uh, counts against him in, in four separate indictments. Um, you know, you think just just on the odds, look, it, it's got to be overkill. But look, think back. I mean, he's he's lost two major court cases already. 
Jean Carroll had uh, sued him for sexual abuse, and she won a $5 million judgment. Trump uh, sued her for defaming him when she said he was a rapist. That that was tossed out because substantially it was judged to be true. Um, the so we basically we've got a a, a rapist as uh, ex president in the United States who's trying to be. I mean that would be news if if it wasn't wasn't for the ninety one other indictments against him, but it, it seems to be lost in the in the in the mist. Um, he also lost uh, in New York. His, his companies paid a over a million dollar fine for tax evasion. Again, that would be newsworthy in itself. But everyone's paying all the, this attention to these other four counts. Um, look, uh, you know, it's, there's a very good chance he's guilty on most of them. Uh, the guy is uh, he's a bad actor, and um, and he's and he was in charge of the United States of America. That's unbelievable. And I don't think there's much chance of him being reelected. There's a, a recent uh, Reuters poll that said 64% of, of Americans do not believe that uh, he will be reelected, or they they will not vote for him as president. So you know whatever he's doing, he'll he'll, he'll gain. Uh, uh, he'll probably win the uh, the Republican nominee or nomination, but he's not going to become president again. All right, that's. I mean, we'll hold you to that. And we'll check again in uh, is it 20, 2024. Yeah. Next year, we're going to be watching this whole thing. I mean, the American political system is almost all theater. Uh, and it starts like very soon we'll be having the, these primaries, right? They've had their first debate already. So um, I want to move on to uh, something a little closer to home, although it's still kind of federal politics. Um, the uh, Sean Fraser, the housing minister last week, uh, kind of coming out of the, the Liberal Party retreat there, He's he's been toying with the idea of capping student visas to deal with our housing crisis. Um, you know, the point is here that we've had a r- recently. Um, I think we have over eight hundred thousand uh, international students in the country, and this is actually a a, a huge deal for for our uh, post secondary education um, sector because uh, international students can be charged much more for their tuition. You know, the issue is that we've had. I think in the last five years, a tripling of the number of international students that come into Canada. And I'm not sure whether he's grasping at straws here and is looking for, for a, a, you know, the, the low, uh, the low hanging fruit to kind of blame on our, our housing woes on. But, uh, he's saying, Oh, we could cap the, the number of student visas in order to deal with housing. I just wanted to mention the globe and mail came out with an in, another interesting policy option that said, uh, well, maybe we should just not let students, uh, work outside of the university if they come in as international students, and that would actually mean that fewer students would be able to come to Canada to actually study. Uh, Peter, what do you? I mean, there's a few issues here. What do you think about um, the issue of this this huge number of, of international students that we have, the relationship they have to our universities and colleges, um, and the, the dependency that we have now kind of created there? And the relationship to uh, to housing, like how how do you think we should deal with this potential problem? Well, I, the housing problem is not caused by uh, you know foreign students coming in. There's a, a lot of other structural reasons why this uh, housing inflation is taking place. Right, you know, it has to do with the interest rate things and so on. And for me, the you know when they when they target uh, international students like that, it's sort of a looking for a scapegoat. Don't look at the actual 
you know, powers that be and what, the, what they've been doing, the speculation that's going on in housing and so on. So I think it's a, a, r- a real problem. Uh, my, co- my concern about things is uh, in terms of the uh, migrant workers as a whole, whether they're, uh, w- whether they're temporary foreign workers or whether you have uh, student workers or, or whatever, is that uh, they don't have uh, full rights of other Canadians. And I think that, th- that that's critical in the circumstances that uh, everyone who's working in Canada, whether they're whatever their immigration status and all this, uh, th- they should have full rights. Uh, so that they can't be exploited. And they also should be a path, some kind of path to citizenship. You know, but, um, you know, to, to single out students to, as the uh, cause of, uh, uh, of the housing crisis is, is totally crazy, right? You know, because uh, this, many of these students don't have much money, you know, for one thing, and uh, they're working in, uh, if they're doing part-time work, they're working in low-income jobs and, and so on. So I think it's... a Kind of a red herring. All right, we do need to take a short break and catch up on our on our paid advertisement here. So uh, we'll be back with Art's comments on this point after these messages. Prince George-based artist Emily Watson takes you on an uncanny road trip along Highway 16 with Up Around the Bend at Two Rivers Gallery. On through October 1st, Up Around the Bend explores the transitional space between the urban and the wild, considering the complicated presence of humanity within the natural world, and takes a new approach to the tradition of Canadian landscape painting. Check out Up Around the Bend through October 1st at Two Rivers Gallery, where creativity flows in Canada Games Plaza. The very popular Northern BC Crime Stoppers Fall Shredded event is back Saturday, September 30th at the PGSS parking lot from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. It's your chance to shred your personal and important documents for a minimum $10 donation per bag or box. We'll shred your documents safely and securely. For another $5 donation, you can enjoy a tasty Mr. Mike's Burger. The Northern BC Crime Stoppers Community Shredded event, September 30th at PGSS, is presented by Shredded, SD57, PGSS, and Mr. Mike's. The 31st Annual Antiques and Collectibles Fair is back this fall. September 30th and October 1st, check out a great variety of antiques and collectibles at the Rolodome. Admission is just $5, $4 for seniors and students, and children under 6 get in free. Interested vendors can call 250-563-1507 to book a table. In support of the South Bowl Community Association, the 31st Annual Antiques and Collectibles Fair, September 30th and October 1st at the Rolodome. Forecast from Environment Canada. Sunday today with local smoke. Wind from the southwest at 20 gusting to 40 starting late this morning. A high of 24 with a high UV index. Clear tonight with local smoke. Gusting southwest winds becoming light this evening. A low of 9. For Saturday, Sunday with local smoke. Wind from the southwest at 20 starting near noon. And a high of 24. Keeping you up to date on current news and events in and around Prince George. This is After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Art, what do you think about this uh, proposal to cap student visas in order to increase the number of houses available? I don't think it'll make a difference for the housing. Um, as for the, the student visas, it's uh, it seems to have gotten out of hand. Uh, I think the system is being abused. Uh, b- from both sides, uh, a lot of the students come here, and in order just to sort of uh, shortcut the uh, entry into Canada for permanent resident status, uh, I think that's more on their minds than actually getting an education. Uh, at the same time, uh, they seem to be a lot of them somewhere getting 
these these bogus degrees that aren't worth very much that, that don't really pay you it's just a, something on paper to say you've been a student and you've got this in or education which isn't real you know it's like a mickey mouse course or something i don't know and then you know some of the students are being abused that way too uh they're they're abusing system and there are people exploiting them to abuse the system uh, for their own benefit. Uh, they can make money off them for working as uh, cheap labor. So uh, it, the whole thing seems to need to be cleaned up, uh, but uh, it's not going to affect the housing at all. I mean, uh, during the break there, Herb, we were talking about the fact that when you go to Superstore or you go to Tim Hortons, you know, most of the people who are working there are actually students. You know, when I, my, my partner works in, in post-secondary, and she always makes a point to say, are you a student? And we get, you know, 90% of the time we get, yes, yes, I'm a student, right? I wonder, like, if we're going to cap student visas, what's it going to do to the labor market? Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, it, it's, it, it's if, you know, Canada's economy seems to be based on the fact that, uh, you know, we're, we're, basically a better country or a better place to to live and and uh, make a living than india so when i was in india four years ago for there was a wedding and uh in the punjab there's billboards everywhere come study in australia come study in new zealand come study in canada right and that is a big business they have there's uh brokers there that uh, will get will arrange everything uh parents uh, there's a huge drug problem in the punjab a lot of drug addiction. Uh, parents are desperate to get their kids out and to do something better with their lives, and have some more opportunity. And it's and it's a tough it's a tough go for them because only thirty percent of students will actually get their uh, permanent residency in Canada. So you know they're, they're we're taking poor people who are desperate for opportunity, and we're and they're coming over here. They're trying to learn the language. They're trying to get a degree. And they're working uh, at minimum wage jobs the whole time. So, yeah, we're sort of taking advantage of them. And, and yet, I mean, really, the, you know, we're op- we are providing some sort of opportunity. So it's uh, sort of a heartbreaking situation all around. James, you got last word on this. I'm just, I'm just wondering, like, it, so international students do pay more for their, for their tuition, um, and that actually, like, literally does subsidize our education system. Some, in some cases, enabling a smaller class to go forward. You know, if it's a, if it's an integral class for for a, for a given degree, but we don't have enough local students to take it. You know, th- they're actually doing a service in some ways to our to our education system. Should we be considering that when we make these kinds of policy moves? Is it subsidizing our education, or is it providing a uh, revenue source to allow a bloated expansion of administration in in our higher education system because if you know if you look at when we, when we went to university uh, the the amount of administrivia and Rez and I went to we actually went to university, went to university together, together at SFU <laughs> back in the late nineties I mean you pay a thousand bucks a semester for your full tuition back then. And if you looked at what that university spent on administration versus actually teaching, it's it's night and day to what it is now. And maybe a lot of that administration is to deal with uh, international students. I mean, there might be certain costs to that. I'm not I'm not sure, but you know, to what extent is 
are these student visas being used to prop up kind of like a bloated industrial education system that we've established in the last 20 years? Um, and to what extent is this actually benefiting these these kids coming here from, from India and other places to get an actual education? You know, and, and tying that in with uh, you know, being allowed to work for 20 and now 40 hours a week, are, how are you able to, to get yourself a proper education uh, when you're working those kind of hours, you know, it's, you know, a few hours for sure. Uh, you know, I, I worked in, in university, but uh, when you're doing 40 hours a week and you're expected to study, you're not going to be learning uh, too much doing that. So is that is that a benefit to these kids? Um, big picture, you know, I echo Herb's point there. Like, what what is our economy based on? Uh, what What is the long-term plan for Canada? And it seems like this is, we don't do manufacturing anymore. We don't produce anything. And it seems we're just kind of uh, the goal is to kind of use immigration to prop up corporate profits. Uh, and I, I totally understand Peter's point here about um, you know they they should be having they should be given certain rights they shouldn't be exploited. But that's exactly what's happening, and it's also affecting Canadian workers because like driving down the costs that uh, Canadian workers can can charge for their services. Um, and then there's a whole bunch of other stuff I don't want to get into right now. There's 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 more to talk about about you know the whole fundamental premise of growth and how critical or not critical growth is. And I'd argue the latter. You know I, I don't have a problem with not growing as 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 a country. It's interesting. I recently saw something in uh, the Economist magazine that was saying you know Canada has been successful in developing post secondary education as a as a, a huge piece of their economy, right? Um, and and when we think about it in, in different terms, you know, it's it, the the bloat of, of the administration is an interesting point there. Um, is that what we want in terms of developing our economy, right? We're going to sh- take a short break. And we're going to come back with uh, a similar topic on the changes to uh, permanent residency right after this. The Prince George RCMP requests your help in finding 29-year-old Garth William Monroe wanted for breach of probation. Monroe is described as a Caucasian male, 5 foot 8, 157 pounds, with brown hair, blue eyes, a diamond tattoo under his right eye, and the initials GM on the sides of his neck. He is considered dangerous and should not be approached. If you know the whereabouts of Garth William Monroe, call the RCMP at 250-561-3300. This year's regional outreach exhibition is Aaron Stagg's optimistic walk, The People Who Own Themselves. The Belmont Museum is hosting the exhibition from through September 22nd, followed by the McBride Valley Museum and Archives, October 17th to November 17th. Stop by if you're in the area for a look at this unique Aboriginal series. Optimistima Walk, the people who own themselves, on through the end of July at the Mackenzie Community Arts Centre. Theatre Northwest has long been committed to being an accessible venue and have now completed an improvement for patrons who are hard of hearing. Their new hearing loop is a major upgrade from the old FM hearing assist system and enables those with hearing issues to enjoy the Theatre Northwest programming with audio clarity and comfort. Full details on the new hearing loop system are available on their website, theaternorthwest.com. While there, pick up a season's pass or tickets for Mousetrap on from September 14th to October 4th. The Prince George Hospice Palliative Care Society has grief support services. Their family grief program supports grieving children, youth, and caregivers through three separate groups. And there's a children's drop-in offered every Tuesday from 3 to 4.30. Adult support services include one-on-one, tea time for the soul, virtual grief support, and more. 
There's also a COVID long hauler program and coffee for the caregiver. Registration is required for all programs. For more information, visit the Hospice Society's website at pghpcs.ca. It's after 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. So we're back with the political panel. I just want to say it's Art Betke, Peter Ewart, James Steidel, and Herb Martin. We're going to change to a related uh, topic. Canada is changing how it grants permanent residency status. Currently, it's based on a point system. Ultimately, they're looking at what your earning potential is, and they're kind of cream skimming is, is a term that I've heard used so that we have the you know the top quality candidates coming in because of all this these issues with our labor market they're going to change that so that they're they're focusing on people who are in science technology engineering and math healthcare the skilled trades agriculture transportation and they're also prioritizing people who speak french um you know i was recently in the states art uh down there they do not have these kinds of all these categories uh for for permanent residency applications they just have a lottery Right, and I wonder whether like that system is going to actually meet our our needs better than all these all this math and administration that we have to do to get people in. What do you think? That's a good question. It seems to make sense that you need a certain type of uh, skills uh, skill sets that uh, and education that that's what you screen for. But I don't know that it's all that fair. Um, I have to look back on my own family's history. My father came to Canada with no education, couldn't speak English or French, and uh, no, no skill sets other than hard work. And, uh, but, th- but then they were advertising for immigrants. Uh, yeah, they are now, too. And, uh, boy, they sent him out to a farm in Saskatchewan and said, get to work and for room and board, no pay. And, uh, well, that was then... Uh, society's a whole lot different now. The job market's a whole lot different now. All the work he was doing on that farm in Saskatchewan is done by some great huge machine and uh, a lot faster than 100 men can do it. So uh, times have changed, needs have changed, people have changed. Yeah, maybe it's a good thing. I don't know. Herb, you think that if we're prioritizing for all these specific areas, we're still going to get doctors driving taxis and physicists working in uh, childcare? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, there's <clears throat> there's all sorts of things going on there. So, for instance, in the medical profession, uh, provincial regulatory bodies have been uh, not keen to admit uh, foreign credentials. Uh, so even if we uh, get foreign workers that come over with their, with with foreign credentials, uh, if they can't uh, if they can't get a job in their and chosen field here, what what benefit is to us? But yeah, as far as the American system goes, uh, we're far far uh, way ahead of the Americans. So I've I've heard from Indian friends that uh, have immigrated to uh, to Canada that uh, uh, they had friends that went to the states at the same time, and the uh, uh, his, this, this guy's friends. I mean, he's he's now a Canadian citizen after seven years it took him. Uh, his friends in the states are looking at maybe another 15 years before they um, uh, can get their U.S. citizenship. So they have green cards, but the green cards is dependent on on their employer, and uh, really it's sort of a form of high tech slavery. They uh, you know they're basically at the discretion of their uh, employer. They can't they can't find other work once they're in the states. They're sponsored by an employer. 
Um, there's a lot of dissatisfaction with that. That's one. That is one kind of green card you can get. The other kind is that lottery that I mentioned. So there's always there's you know a certain amount of, of people who you, you just apply every year, and a certain amount just get green cards, right? Pretty small percentage. Right, uh, James. What do you think about? I mean, I, I like the idea. Of, is it possible that maybe instead of the government deciding what areas we need to be admitting, maybe maybe businesses could be saying, "Hey, I need these this many people, and I've got somebody that I could bring over here and grant them a permanent residency tomorrow." I think we need to flip the whole the whole system on its head, and I think uh, instead of looking uh, for immigrants based on their skills, what we can get out of them as a as a society, I think we got to start um, taking being held accountable for our uh, the the product of uh, climate change that Western civilization I think is kind of introduced uh, on the planet, and we're disproportionately responsible for. I mean, you look at, look at the uh, carbon per capita in Canada's right there at the top of the list. Uh, out of the G7 com- countries, we got to look at uh, instead of um, the skills that they can bring to the table, we should look for people who are being impacted by climate change, and giving them the priority to come into to Canada. So you know, people in the lowlands of uh, Bangladesh, you know, the, you, not a lot of education, not a lot of English uh, language skills there, but you know, wonderful people, hardworking people, uh, probably going to be underwater in, in 20 years. Uh, they should they should be given priority to come into Canada. Uh, island nations out in the Indian Ocean that are going to be underwater. I don't know. I think that's that's who we should be looking at bringing in. That's uh, interesting. Are more I think climate refugees. I I, I don't really. Uh, I think a lot of these um, these point systems or these you know prioritizing people with STEM. I think it's kind of unfair to a lot of those people as well because all of a sudden you've you've kind of uh, catered your career to this to this uh, certain. Uh, criteria that uh, Canada is prioritizing, and all of a sudden they change it just like that, and you can't come into Canada anymore because you've been uh, working on the wrong education. Yeah, to that point, uh, recently I saw a study that said, you know, that old investor class that we had under Stephen Harper, uh, refugees, basically the bottom of the of the barrel, are coming in here with basically a, a unfortunate lottery system, pay more in paid over time, paid more in taxes to the Canadian government than these investor class immigrants who were like the top of the top, right? Probably. Coming in with yeah. m- millions of dollars, paid more in taxes to our system. Peter, you got last word? Uh, well, yeah, like for me, the you know the issue is in terms of uh, however they ch- they they whatever system they use to choose the immigrants and all that. Uh, you know, whether it's uh, the systems you're talking about in the U.S. or the ones that we have and all that. The critical thing is, is uh, you know, beyond that is, uh, is, is the rights of, the, of these uh, in, in migrant workers and, and immigrants, uh, you know, that they have full expression of those rights and uh, are not exploited. And there is a lot of expo- exploitation that is taking place, you know, of farm workers and others, right? You know, there's stuff going on right now with migrant workers, uh, who uh, have been affected by the fires, right? And uh, then they're just left out on a, a limb in terms of they don't get un- unemployment insurance or whatever and all this. So I think that, that to me, is the, where the focus should be, is on uh, making sure that the that this whole cohort of, of, of people, the, the immigrants and all this, are, are not exploited in any way. That's a good point. Okay, we do have one minute left. I want to take a poll here. we got Rachel Weber, who is our school district uh, chair, who is running now. She uh, said she's going to run for the B.C. Conservative Party. Um, the question I've got is, do you think that people who are in one kind of public service, let's say the school board, and it's a nonpartisan school board here in, in B.C., should they have to 
step down or set aside their or take a leave of absence in order to run for another uh, another office. Art, yes or no? No. Peter? No. No. Herb? Uh, no. Okay. So we're, we're okay with our potential MLA also being a member of the school board. Okay. All right. Thanks, everybody. Great show, and uh, have a great weekend. Enjoy the long weekend.